Welcome to the Black Sparrow Media Internet Broadcast Network. And welcome. This is episode number 109 of Linux in the Ham Shack, the best podcast about Linux and ham radio on the internet today. And there's no question about that, so I don't want to hear any complaining. My name is Russ, K5TUX, and over there on the other side of uh, the border, uh, it's not a pond or anything like that, although there is some water in the way, is Pete V2XPW. Hello, Pete. <laughs> P2XPL. You're close. You're thinking of Harrison there. <clears throat> Harrison's gotten under your skin, I think. But uh, good day, good day. Hi to everyone in the chat room and all our live listeners. Uh, glad to be here tonight. Did I say V2XPW? I did, didn't I? You did. Okay, V2XPL. We've got that all straightened out. It's not like people who listen to the show haven't figured that out already, but there I've go. been called worse. <laughs> I can call you worse right now if you like. <laughs> go ahead. We need the badger. <laughs> Maybe later. Um, I got some feedback, as it were, on the IRC channel a couple of weeks ago from uh, a person who is in there right now as we speak, actually, and who may be called upon in mere moments to actually do some of this part of the show because I didn't get enough information. Uh, X-Ride who's in the chat room right now and probably is going, oh, look, they mentioned me, ha-ha, <laughs> suggested that we talk about a few topics that we haven't mentioned before or have mentioned very little in the past. And the first of those is antenna modeling, and the second of those is PCB design or electronic circuit board design. The reason I think we haven't mentioned these topics in the past is because I don't think that a large part of our audience is really into PCB design, although I know some of them are because they came up to me and visited with me at the Dayton Hamvention. They talked about some of the projects they were working on, and some of them involved embedded systems, things like the Raspberry Pi. Now, you don't need PCB design tools to use a Raspberry Pi because it's sort of already been designed, but there are still people out there who are building things. And they were wondering if there are any tools out there for, you know, designing PCBs. So uh, I do have a couple of tools we can talk about. Uh, and X-Ride has told us that his call sign is AK4WQ, Alpha Kilo 4 Whiskey, Quebec. Uh, and speaking of Quebec, that's where you are. Correct. Indeed. Excellent. That's two we Quebecs on one. Your, your brother's from another mother <laughs> <laughs> or, or something. There you uh, go. Yes, I I live in Quebec, and he has a Q in his call sign. Therefore, we are tight as anything. Long lost brothers. <laughs> exactly. Man. Peace out. 
AK4WQ. If you want to fill in any gaps while we're talking, feel free to do so because there are going to be some very large ones. So we could talk a little bit about GEDA or talk about EDA specifically. If you're into doing a board design or schematic design, these tools might help you out. The website that I'm going off of here is www.geda-project.org. People have asked me over time, like if I wanted to build something like, you know, with an Arduino or something like that, where I actually have to design the PCB or the, or the circuitry that's involved because I want to create some sort of embedded system that uses Linux. Well, how would I do that? Because there's, you know, there are tools out there for windows for doing this kind of thing, but I'm not sure of where to find one for Linux. And it turns out that that's what the GEDA project is all about. So I'll go ahead and read what it says here on their first paragraph. It says the GEDA project has produced and continues to work on a full GPL suite and toolkit of electronic design automation tools. These tools are used for electrical circuit design, schematic capture, simulation, prototyping, and production. Currently, the GEDA project offers a mature suite of free software applications for electronics design, including schematic capture, attribute management, bill of materials generation well it goes on anyway so apparently if you have an electrical engineering background you can use these tools to actually look at a, a printed circuit board and lay down you know traces put components on and actually develop electronic circuits and that takes time it's it's very um you have to figure out it's easier on paper when you have your schematic diagram having done this you have your schematic diagram and then you try to transfer that to a pc board and and that takes a lot of a lot of thinking a lot of planning and it's not as easy as it seems so that's an important step when you're designing your board okay that's pretty interesting because i obviously haven't tried to do any of that myself but uh seeing as you have these tools might have been useful to you once upon a time Unfortunately, I didn't check these notes until uh, very late uh, in the week, so I didn't have time to go on and, and play with them, or else I would have. But I'm going to do that. Maybe we could do a follow-up on, on a future episode. Yeah, that would, that would probably be good. To, we can sort of put these tools out there for anybody who's interested in, in them, and maybe we can talk about them with a little more intelligence uh, on another episode. But there's a couple of tools that are particularly interesting to me. One is the PCB tool, which is part of GEDA which is the printed circuit board editor. It actually gives you the ability to look at a picture of a printed circuit board and then edit it to your tastes. Like if you, if you wanted to put on um, an integrated circuit or change a transistor or something like that, it actually allows you to, to model that, change out traces, and do all of those things. I'm not sure how far it gets along. I mean, I'm not sure how the diagrams that you eventually produce would get to an actual printed circuit board, but I assume it gets you most of the way there. Normally, I don't, I don't know, it could have come a long way, but between the schematic uh, diagram and the printed circuit board, I don't think there's any converters. Usually you have to do that work because you have to figure out um, where to put the trace between the diode and the resistor and the transistor, which on paper won't be at the same place as physically on your printed circuit board. You could design it that way, but usually it's not that way. So yeah, it, it can be a little bit tricky. So I'm I'm actually going to check these out. You're kind of re-sparking my interest in that. I've, I haven't played with this stuff since the mid-90s, I'll tell you guys. Uh, so I'm sure it's come a long, long way. Okay, cool. 
Uh, the other thing I just wanted to bring up as, as part of this suite of tools is something called G scheme, G S C H E M, which is basically like the PCB editor, but it's for schematic diagrams. It actually gives you the thing where a capacitor looks like a, a circle and a transistor has like a three pole, you know, thing with a line. And you, you know, for anybody who's actually looked at a schematic diagram and knows like what a diode looks like and what a, a uh, capacitor looks like in a resistor and, and so on, uh, and a ground and a trace and all of that. Uh, G-S-C-H-E-M actually allows you to create schematics for a device you might want to create. Or if you can download a file in compatible format, you can actually look at the schematic that was created by somebody else. So that seems like a useful tool, even to somebody who's not building something, but just wants to know how something is laid out uh, internally. And and I would recommend people check it out too. Just just looking at a schematic diagram, a schematic. I keep saying schematic, a schematic diagram. Just looking at it, um, it's like uh, X Ride said in, in the uh, in the chat room before. You know, you can't get there before you start. So uh, don't be afraid to look at the diagram and try to figure things out. And yeah, it might be a uh, you know illegible at first, but it's still an, an interesting exercise. And like I said, we, we mentioned this uh, early on in the discussion, but if you want to find out more about this particular project, you can go to geda-project.org, and that will give you all you want to know about the different tools that are available in this project. And of course, like I said, they are uh, app-get installable on Debian-based systems, which would include Mint and Ubuntu and so on and so forth. Uh, if you want to try them out or, or are fascinated by this, check out the website or do an install and see where, where it leads you, I guess. Be interesting to see if you can get uh, diagrams for the various radios that people have, you know, to uh, get transferred into this uh, software and be able to read the schematic from your uh, favorite piece of equipment in the shack. Yeah, perhaps so. I don't know if there's a schematic out there in GEDA format for my like TS five seventy, but if there was, uh, I'd be interested in looking at it. Of course, I'd probably get, I'd probably get lost in it like a Wikipedia sort of way, where I'd be going seventeen layers deep and wouldn't come up for a week. That's the fun of it, though. Well, perhaps so. I didn't know you had a five seventy. That's interesting. I like the Kenwood radios. I, I have a four forty myself, and and our club has the uh, eight fifty, and I I love them both. They're built like tanks. Yeah, I love my 570. I don't know that I'd give it up for any other radio because, and I've seen lots of radios and they all have, you know, flashy displays and lots of knobs and stuff like that. But for something that's, that just does basic operation, everything you could ever want on HF frequencies and is really easy to use and navigate, I don't know that there's a better radio than the 570. Yeah, very well. There's the 440. Well, there is the 440, but I think the 440 <laughs> is a little older, isn't it? Or am I? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I was just bugging you. <laughs> <laughs> I have a TS50 as well that's, uh, I'm guessing, mid-80s, uh, which is a smaller one of the smaller ones uh, that was originally built for mobile use. Um, I use it in my RV. And also, little little tank. I mean, you could practically throw this thing against the wall and you can't destroy it. All the buttons are in front. There's uh, Actually, the TS50 has a few submenus, but they're easy to navigate. I, I like radios where everything's on the front, where you don't have to go through you know 17 layers of menus. I'd rather go through 17 layers of PC board than 17 layers of menus to get through something. I'm actually pretty familiar with the TS-50. My first radio was actually a TS-130. It was sort of uh, one of the radios that fed off the 520 Kenwood Legacy, which was, that was a radio that was tube radio. So, of course, you had to, you know, set the plate adjustment and, 
you know, get the finals all worked up and everything. Whereas the 130 was actually a solid state radio, so you didn't have to do that, but it still had this kind of look and feel of it. So it was pretty, it was pretty neat. Yeah, yeah. I had an old tube radio for a while. I had a Yezu FT101 uh, that had the tube finals. It was a hybrid, and and I loved it, except when I wanted to talk to somebody really quick, and then it kind of annoyed me. But I, I actually missed that radio. I sold it, and I probably shouldn't have, but yeah, that's okay. Anyhow, that being said, uh, let, I'm going to stop. Uh, we could talk about radio reviews all night, and uh, we don't want to do that. No, we probably shouldn't do that. Now, I'm going to guess that my next topic, which is Manjaro Linux, is something that you have not experienced uh, to date? No, but I was reading your notes, and I'm excited. I'm, uh, like I was saying in the chat room and have mentioned in the past, I'm searching for the perfect Linux distribution for uh, for myself and my shack. And uh, this seems uh, very exciting, so um, I can run through all the other ones that I've uh, tried uh, in a little bit. But uh, right now, I want to hear what you have to say about this, and I'll, I'll probably give it a try. Okay, well, Manjaro came to my attention because a lot of the folks that I chat with on a daily basis are really, 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 really into Arch Linux. And to them, Arch Linux is like the next greatest thing. And I personally have never seen any reason whatsoever that I could think of to use Arch Linux. In fact, this came up when we were talking to Peter64 a few episodes back. Somebody then told me about Manjaro Linux, which is basically Arch Linux without all the crap that you have to do to get Arch Linux running. It's basically Arch Linux with an installer. And I was like, well, that sounds pretty cool. Maybe I'll try that out. So I did. And I ran this thing in a virtual machine environment under VirtualBox on my PC. And what's interesting about it is when you download the Manjaro installer and do the install, it looks and feels almost exactly like Linux Mint. Now, that's probably not coincidence because I downloaded the Cinnamon version. And Cinnamon, of course, is a project that came out of the Linux Mint area. So that's the desktop environment that I that I picked. But that's not the one that you need to pick because it actually comes in an XFCE or version an open box version, a cinnamon version, like I just said, a KDE version. And of course, if you don't like any of those, you can put any kind of desktop environment on it that you like, but those are already prepackaged and you can run it right out of the box with any of those. Just download it as it is, 32-bit, 64-bit, do the install and you'll have that desktop environment available to you. Now, of course, it runs by default as a live CD. Uh, I believe it's actually a live DVD because I've I want to say it's about 1.3 gigs on the download. Once you download it and fire up the installer, it, you know, basically if you don't do anything, if you just fire it up from an install disk and let it run, it will boot up into the environment that you selected as your download. It gives you a desktop and it basically says, run me as I am, or if you prefer, you can go ahead and install me. And the installer is super simple. It's just like Ubuntu, just like Linux Mint, real easy. It completely hides the fact that you're using Arch Linux. The only thing that really gives away the fact that you're using Arch Linux is when you do the install and you finally have everything on your system, when the thing pops up to say you have updates, you're using the Pac-Man file manager, as, or not file manager, the Pac-Man package manager, as opposed to Yum or Apt or Synaptic or you know whatever else. That's really the only giveaway. Depending on who you ask, they say that Pac-Man is better than all of those other things. Maybe that's to your liking. Maybe it isn't. The thing about Manjaro is it takes away all of the problems that somebody like a noob might have with getting Arch installed. 
it's just as easy as installing Mint. So even a noob could, could do the install. There were a couple of things I thought were kind of interesting during my experience with Manjaro. The first is the aesthetic of it. The boot screens, the desktop environment screens, the background wallpapers, and all of that stuff are amazing. They're very clean, very modern. They blow away most other distributions that I've seen. You know, even the default desktop environment just looks super cool. The boot up screen has kind of taken a page out of Mac OS's book where it kind of does everything in a bunch of different languages and has a very sort of glossy look to it and everything that works as far as that's concerned. But when it comes to the, I don't know if you're familiar with the windows eight roll up screen saver. Have you seen that thing? Yep. Okay. Well that to me is annoying as hell. Yep. And for some reason, Manjaro has adopted that. So when your screen goes into lock mode in order to unlock it, you have to roll up the window shade which has like the time and date on it in order to get to your unlock thing. And to me, that's really annoying as hell. Could so, you not turn that off? You probably could, but I, I don't know that I got that far into it or even tried to get that far into it. I just wanted to have a machine to see what it looked like. And, and, and I mean, but when I say turn it off, I don't mean go into the code and rebuild the thing. I mean, just, is there a, a checkbox? <laughs> is there, is there a toggle? I don't know if there's a toggle for that, but I sure <laughs> hope there is. Cause it's really annoying. Uh, but it's, that's one of those niggling points. You know what I mean? It's like, if that's the only problem that I had with Manjaro, I'd, you know, I'd be okay with it. I think. Ah, cool. No, it sounds uh, very easy indeed. So, um, a couple other things that I wanted to know, which really don't have anything to do with anything because honestly, the, the distribution as a whole is just super usable, real easy to install. And I would, I would even give it to a noob to install because I bet they could. Well, um, you, you're going to find out because I'm going to try. And I still consider myself, although a four-year noob, still very much a noob. Okay, well, I guess uh, if you can install it, then I'm going to hear about it. But, I, but I'm willing to bet that you can. That uh, I can't? No, that, that you can. I'm willing to bet oh, that you can. can. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. No, uh, I'm saying, well, you're more experienced than a lot of people. And I would, I would say a dirt noob who just came into it, if you handed them a DVD and a computer, they could probably install it. Okay. Well, so, I, I, I play with Linux, but I don't play with it a lot because I don't have a lot of time. So I, uh, although I've been at it for four years, you know, some people would have learned what I learned, like, you know, in the first three months kind of thing. And okay. that's okay. Yeah, that, that's, that's perfectly fine. It's, I'm it, at it's peace okay. with that. I'm, I'm patting you on the head. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> so a couple of things I just wanted to bring up is like totally like aside type points, but they were kind of interesting to me. This is the first distribution that I can recall, and maybe I'm just misremembering, but the, the little screen where it shows you a map of the world where you want to pick your time zone, I'm pretty sure this was the very first one that I ever seen, which was actually a topographical map. It actually showed you the colors and like where the deserts were and, and stuff like that, which is a totally useless feature when it comes to setting the time zone on your computer. But for some reason, it just seemed really cool to me. So there's that. And then... The only other thing that bothered me about the distribution really doesn't have anything to do with the distribution itself at all, but it's the fact that I had to download it from SourceForge, which took for freaking ever. And it didn't seem to matter which mirror I chose. It just took a long, long time. So I'm hoping that somewhere along the line, Manjaro decides to uh, create a torrent of their different versions and seed them somewhere. I'll be happy to seed them myself if they actually get a torrent thing up and running. Uh, but I would love to see Manjaro distributed by torrent because it would be nice to be able to download it 
uh, way faster than you can get it from SourceForge. But again, that's not really about the distro. Mint distributes their distro by torrent, and I, I love being able to get it that way. Well, SourceForge isn't usually that bad, though. Maybe you just had a, a bad ISP day or something, no? Maybe, but I really don't think so. I mean, even at home, my, my download speeds usually run around 30 or 35 megabits per second. My download was going to take an hour and a half. And and I'm guessing it's not like because of the size of the file. No, 1.3 gigabytes. See, what happened was I downloaded it at work. I, I let it run for about two hours, so it completely downloaded at work. And then I was able to download it to my home PC, which is on the same network, using my DSL connection in about eight minutes. So that's what I would expect from a download for a, a larger pipe out on the internet, not an hour and a half. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's funny you mention that because when I download stuff from work, it takes about an hour and a half for a couple of gigs as well. But us, it's just because of the, the internal, all of the internal settings and, and I guess the billions of pipes it has to go through before it finally gets to my little office in the basement of the hospital. But it's just, you know, it's a fraction of the time here at home compared to where it is there. But my, you know, we're supposed to be um, fiber optic fed. You know, we have the latest and the greatest machines. But yet here with my little crappy PC, I, I can download way faster. I know, I know my bottleneck was not me. I would expect that any pipe that's feeding me, regardless of how many it actually has to go through, would be way larger than my DSL connection. So... The fact that I was getting pretty poor performance um, meant that there was a bottleneck somewhere else. And uh, like I said, torrents seem to alleviate those bottlenecks because you get the you get multiple data streams and all of that. So I, I do hope they'll distribute via torrent at some point. Well, there you go. We'll just uh, tell everyone to uh, go down and and make the suggestion, and you never know. Maybe they just haven't thought of it yet. Well, maybe not. I tell you what, um, we're going to move the, the two little things that you've got here to the main segment and uh, go ahead and do some music because I think we've been talking too long already. Yeah, that's fine. Go ahead. All right. Well, we got some music then. And uh, just for the record, because we have a policy of full disclosure, which I've just revealed because we really have no such policy. I took all the music again for this episode. So these are all my selections. Pete will get his chance someday. <laughs> Even. And I'm okay with that. Okay. I'm glad you're okay with that. Cause I might have to kick you off. If you weren't <laughs> <laughs> anyway, I heard this song the other day. Um, I can't remember where I think it was over on Linux outlaws or maybe rat hole radio or something like that. But heifervescent, which is a group that we have played on this show a few times in the past has come out with a new album this year. And they have this great song on there called let this monkey go. I have no idea what the song is about, but it is a great tune. Uh, a little unusual for the stuff we usually play around here, but I think everyone should really enjoy it. We'll hit this and we'll talk some more on the other side.
hell would you think of that one? Actually, I'd listen to it before the show um, just because I was curious about the title. I like uh, I like the melody. I'm not really that crazy about the chorus, but overall, it's a pretty cool tune. It's pretty funky. Yeah, it's got a funky sort of techno feel, sort of atmospheric feel to it. I don't know. It's just different than a lot of the music I've heard coming out of anywhere lately, so I thought it was pretty interesting. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Very good. Good choice. Well, thank you very much since uh, I stole your choice to play that choice. So <laughs> I'm glad it was at least moderately good. Yeah, there you go. From the album Little Egg, courtesy of Jamendo. Yes, sir. All right. Well, the next few topics are yours. So I'm going to sit back and let you talk and maybe fill in a few blanks. So let, let's talk about this internet balloon thing. I, As a matter of fact, I heard about this yesterday on the Mintcast. They were talking about it and they had their doubts about whether this was going to turn into another prism or a big brother eye in the sky type of thing about providing internet via high altitude balloon but google wants to do it so what what's your take yeah more power to them eh? i actually had no idea that the mincast uh mentioned that and i i promise i did not steal that from them uh no i actually found this um via associated press's uh feed uh let's see june 14th so a couple of days ago uh nick perry and martha mendoza reporting for ap uh basically uh, google claims that two out of three people globally have no internet I, I i saw this i thought this was like the coolest thing i'd seen i mean everybody loves to hate google well, some people love to love them some people love to hate them i'm kind of indifferent i no, i'm not indifferent i'm a little partial to google because they're they're canadian uh so i guess just because of that i have to like them a little bit but anyhow, uh, they claim that two out of three people globally have no internet. I mean, of course, you know, somewhere it's more, some places it's less. Uh, but uh, their goal is to get the entire planet online. So this week, uh, from a frozen field in the heart of New Zealand's uh, South Island at Lake, what is this, Lake uh, Tikapo? <laughs> thinking of Lake Titicaca from uh, Beavis and Butthead. Anyhow, that's us tonight. Uh, from New Zealand South, sorry, I've lost my place. Uh, anyhow, from a lake in southern New Zealand, they launched 30 of these balloons. This was a culmination of uh, 18 months' uh, work from Google, and it's called Project Loon. They called it Project Loon because of how wacky the uh, ideas uh, sounded. A uh, very secretive project uh, until just a few days ago. Apparently, nobody knew about this. But basically, uh, people who uh, gave you the uh, driverless car and the uh, web-surfing eyeglasses are, are now giving you a flimsy uh, helium-filled inflatable, 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 inflatable balloon uh, that's going to beam the internet uh, down to earth as it sails past on the wind. So basically, uh, they're still in their experimental stage. The uh, balloon was the uh, first of uh, uh, thousands that Google's leaders eventually hope to launch. Uh, these things fly about uh, 12 kilometers or 20 miles up in the air in a layer called the uh, stratosphere. Uh, and they want to do this in order to uh, bridge the uh, gapping digital divide, they say, between the world's 4.8 billion unwired people compared to the, uh, let's see, 2.2 billion uh, who are plugged in. So uh, basically, they say that this might leapfrog, uh, you know, expensive uh, laying of a fiber cable and uh, things like that, and uh, give uh, ease of access to the internet to places, uh, you know, desert areas, uh, places in Africa, Southeast Asia, etc. Uh, so the first person to get this uh, 
Google balloon internet access uh, was a farmer named uh, Charles Nemo uh, in a place called Leeston, New Zealand. Uh, what Google basically did is they uh, handpicked a number of people to be their uh, their test people, and they didn't even tell them what they were testing when they chose them. So these people kind of took a leap of faith, uh, and basically Google uh, what they did is they put this. Uh, antenna on the side of this person's house the people who were the test people and uh, the balloon or sorry the antenna looks a little bit like a big basketball sitting there on the side of the house not that big it was maybe I don't know 18 inches in diameter it's bright orange of course so it's kind of an eyesore if you live in uh, any place that has uh, restrictions you might not be able to use this uh, but that's okay so uh, these balloons will uh, fly free uh, in the air, of course, uh, on the prevailing winds. Uh, what they claim is that the beauty of the stratosphere is it's got very predictable layers of wind uh, that go this way and that, and uh, that by uh, controlling the altitude of the balloon, they can actually steer them uh, relatively uh, easily. Uh, each balloon would uh, provide internet access for the area twice the size of New York City, so about uh, 1,250 square kilometers uh, for us Canadians, or 780 square miles roughly, and they claim that terrain is not a challenge, uh, be it uh, flat or mountainous, uh, you don't have to worry because the balloon is sitting above you. Uh, they want to put a network of balloons, so basically uh, the balloons will uh, backbone off of each other. And uh, that way, uh, because as, as a balloon flies by, so this gentleman uh, farmer who had the test uh, claims that he got the internet for about 15 minutes uh, while the balloon sails past. Of course, they don't have a network up there yet, but the theory is that they'll have a network of balloons that they'll be controlling so that as one flies past and you get the signal, uh, it's over you, you lose the signal, but by the time you're losing the signal, you're getting the signal from the next one, which is uh, coming behind it uh, so many miles away. Did you say this test candidate's name was Charles Nemo? I don't know if you pronounce it Nemo, N-I-M-M-O, Charles Nemo, small town of Leeston, New Zealand. He's a farmer and small businessman, and he used it to check the weather. To, and this is a true story, or they claim he checked it to check the weather to see if the weather would be good enough to shear his sheep that day. I see. No, you you pronounced it in such a way that I I was thinking N E M O in my head, and if you had said that that was the way it was spelled, I was figuring that Google was setting itself up for the largest April Fool's Day prank ever pulled because we all know what Nemo means, and it just sounded like a ruse. But okay, if that's uh, in fact the the gentleman's name, then maybe there's more to this than just a a practical joke. Well, you know, we're way past April, and uh, I, I did get this from the Associated Press feed in there. No, no, you know. the next one. Oh, the... <laughs> <laughs> uh, so basically, um, yeah, these things are filled with uh, helium. They're uh, made of plastic, which is similar to grocery bags uh, that, you know, everybody sees. Uh, they uh, base the technology on uh, what NASA does and uh, the JPL, of course, and some stuff from uh, the Defense Department. Uh, they claim that they won't interfere with um, uh, airplanes because they fly much higher. Airplanes, you know, fly about uh, 20 or 10 kilometers up. These things are supposed to be at 20 kilometers, so twice the height. And as they were launching them and as they were coming back down during their test, they were actually speaking to mission, not mission control, but uh, air traffic control to make sure that the uh, plane stayed uh, well clear of them. 
So um, it'll be interesting to see how uh, this turns out. I think this is actually fascinating. These things have huge solar panels under them. So basically, they look like hot air balloons uh, with some electronics and then this uh, big solar panel uh, that's about uh, maybe three feet by three feet. And the solar panel uh, in four hours of sunlight will get enough energy to uh, power it for the entire day. So um, I'm, I, I just thought it was the coolest thing I'd ever seen. Go, go to google.com, uh, google.com slash loon, L-O-O-N, and they actually talk about it. And they have some videos, uh, which is where I saw how, what these things were shaped like. It's, uh, uh, two videos, two or three videos, and one of them is a four-minute video that shows you the launch of these things and, and, and how they're built. And I thought it was a quite fascinating. Uh, one, because I'm, I'm kind of an aviation buff, uh, two, because I'm a ham radio guy. So, you know, it's kind of... And, and ham radio people have been launching balloons with repeaters and stuff on them for uh, a number of years. So it's kind of an interesting progression. And, uh, you know, it just took Google to uh, figure it out. Hopefully they didn't steal the idea from some poor sap who's, uh, you know, never going to be rich. But uh, that being said, uh, we'll uh, see what happens in the future. Okay, well, I personally have two comments about this. The first one that just came to me as I was thinking about the the infrastructure of this sort of internet by balloon technology. Most people, when they experience an internet connection, they get a certain amount of performance based on how much is delegated to them by how much they pay, meaning that lots of customers will be connected to a high-speed connection, and then it's, it's whittled down as it goes out towards the customer's premise. But in the case of these Google balloons, the data path is going to be the same on the uplink as it is on the downlink. It's not like there's going to be more bandwidth given to a balloon on the downstream side as it is on the upstream side. So how are they going to delegate this speed kind of thing? I'm not sure it's even something that they've considered. I mean, I'm just wondering what the backbone pipe is, I guess, is what my question is. What, what's the backbone for all these balloons? Well, I know that they're connected somehow to a network on the ground, uh, but aside from that, uh, the the research that I did, I, I didn't go that far into it to be quite honest, and I'm not sure that the information is there. If you go on the website and, and you know Google.com/loon, what you'll see is kind of a more more of a, a kind of a marketing spiel. You know, they they don't go into the uh, uh, the, the details of it just yet, and, and most likely to do that on purpose. Uh, but um, or maybe it's there. I just didn't see it. But I, you know, it, it's, it's three pages. The website, you know, there's three links, so there's not a whole lot of information there. Right, more fluff. I mean, I I know they're going to get some sort of. I just wonder how much bandwidth they're going to get from these things because obviously they're going to have to be connected to a terrestrial uh, backbone at some point, and they're eliminating some of the latency in some of these high altitude products, like in the satellites, because the satellites have to be you know hundreds of miles in into the atmosphere. And so you have built-in latency because of that. And since these balloons only fly at 20 kilometers or so, you won't have those high latencies, which is a great thing. But I, I also wonder about the, the ability of them to mesh and the ability of them to transmit the data effectively back to the ter terrestrial network to provide decent Internet service. I guess, I guess we'll see how these things pan out in the future. And obviously they're not releasing a lot of details right now, but uh, th yeah, these well, are thoughts in my head. Yeah, they have one paragraph on it um, on the Howloon Works section, and it reads, uh, Each balloon can provide connectivity to a ground area about 40 kilometers in diameter at speeds comparable to 3G. 
For balloon-to-balloon and balloon-to-ground communications, the balloons use antennas equipped with specialized radio, frequency technology, blah, blah, blah. Project Loon currently uses ISM bands, specifically 2.4 and 5.8 gig bands that are available for anyone to use. And it's another comment they made that they'll be using uh, bands that are not uh, really regulated. So um, that's kind of another interesting uh, little detail there. Well, I think some industrious ham is going to have to get his hands on this project and allow us to saddle some sort of HF gear along with these balloons so we can start doing HF by Google Balloon. By, by yeah, Google. well, there you go. Well, by, maybe you should just, uh, you know, maybe there's not a whole lot of ham operators at Google, so maybe if we uh, throw the idea at them, y- who knows? Yeah, balloon bounce. <laughs> That's <what. laughs> No pun intended. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Okay, well, that's an interesting project. I'm curious to see where it goes and whether whether it'll be the next uh, NSA spy network of uh, low-altitude balloons. Oh, yeah. Well, you know, they'll probably have uh, high-res cameras on there, and they'll be able to see, uh, you know, what you're, what you're eating and how you're picking your nose. I don't know. Uh, hang on. Let me, i got to go to the closet get my tinfoil hat. I'll be right back. Yeah, that, yeah for sure. Okay, I am really... Boy. I'm really curious about this next story because I I went all over their site and I was trying to figure out what you were talking about by this thing. So go ahead and enlighten me. Yeah. No. <laughs> yeah, Linux. The Linux in there had the, the, the tagline uh, on the Etherpad that uh, Russ is referring to is uh, that I wrote, that I wrote is uh, Linux in the Hamshack's Badger hits the big time. And the only reason I wrote that is because I was uh, camping this weekend and I walked into the uh, the local store in the town where we were, a little town called Coaticook, Quebec, which is a beautiful little town in the eastern townships. Uh, it's got a gorge and falls and anyhow, it's just very, very, very beautiful. And uh, I was looking for a sunblock for my, uh, for my lips, for sunscreen, uh, and I bought a uh, a brand of SPF uh, 15 uh, all natural unscented sunscreen uh, from the Badger company and you can actually go to badgerbalm.com and uh, check out their uh, natural products i thought i'd mention them one because they're all natural of course they're not free because they're natural you could argue they're open source but uh, anyhow I, I just thought it was funny so i bought one so i actually in my hand am holding a small tube of badger balm so uh, I, I don't know if it's going to prevent me from swearing, but it will prevent my lips from getting burnt uh, during the summer's adventures. <laughs> it's interesting that they chose the term BALM, B-A-L-M, because BALM sounds like BOMB, B-O-M-B. And, of course, we drop many Badger. bombs around here all the time. So. <laughs> yeah, there you go. I can't remember where I heard this. As some comedian said, uh, I, I worry, you know, sh- should I go to the airport and say lip balm or, or I'm worried that if I say lip balm at the airport, they'll come and get me. <laughs> <laughs> as well, they should. Yeah, absolutely. All right. So our main topic, as chosen by pv 2 xpw L, uh, for the show tonight is uh, Field Day, which is coming up this weekend. And uh, if you're not prepared for field day or have not decided on a place to go for field day as of yet, I suggest you uh, get your badger in gear. What would you like to say about uh, field day 2013? 
Well, thanks for giving me the main topic. Well, field day is this weekend, so I thought it was apropos. Uh, field day is uh, personally my favorite ham radio event. It's uh, kind of how I got started, so that probably has a little bit of something to do with it. My first experience in ham radio was uh, at a local club uh, during their field day, so, you know, um, it's a very exciting event. Uh, uh, basically, what is the field day? It's uh, put on by the ARRL, which is the Amateur Radio Relay League, uh, the United States National Ham Radio Organization. It's the uh, single more popular, uh, sorry, single most popular on the air event uh, held annually uh, in the U.S. and Canada. It's held every year on the fourth weekend of June, uh, and this year uh, being, uh, like I said, this weekend, the 22nd and 23rd. Uh, more than uh, 35,000 uh, radio amateurs gather, uh, either within their clubs, uh, you know, for, uh, groups of friends. Uh, some people are alone uh, in remote locations. And the objective is to work as many stations as possible uh, on any and all amateur bands. Uh, of course, all the traditional ones, you know, you're excluding uh, 60, 30, 17, and 12, which don't contest. And uh, also learning to operate in abnormal situations and in less than optimal conditions. So basically, you are quite often you're simulating uh, emergency uh, setup conditions uh, like you would have in, in uh, you know, uh, an earthquake or some other natural disaster, something like that. Field Day is open to uh, all amateurs, of course, uh, in the areas, areas covered by uh, the ARRL and uh, RAC, which is a Radio Amateurs of Canada, uh, which is the ARRL's uh, northern counterpart. Actually, I recently learned, uh, this is a very, uh, very big tangent, but I recently learned that the Radio Amateurs of Canada was uh, used to be a branch of the ARRL. Uh, I, I just found that out uh, this week, and I was not aware of that. I don't know if you were, Russ. You know what? I was not aware of that. I had no idea that the Canadian organization had any affiliation with the ARRL at all. Yeah, I thought that was fascinating, and eventually they they split. I, I don't know what the history is. Somebody mentioned it. I'm going to check into that as well. But uh, anyways, organizations and countries uh, within the IARU Region 2 the uh, International Amateur Radio Union, Region 2, uh, and of course, uh, DX stations residing in other regions uh, may be contacted for credit, uh, but they're not uh, eligible to submit entries. So you could uh, you know, talk to somebody in uh, France or Paraguay, uh, but the person in France or Paraguay is not eligible for the contest. It's just uh, Canada and the U.S. So a very exciting event. Um, uh, our plans for Field Day, uh, my, my plans uh, myself, uh, is uh, for the past few years, I've been uh, one of the main organizers for our local clubs at Field Day. Our local club is Victor Echo 2 Charlie Lima Mike. We're the uh, Montreal South Shore Amateur Radio Club, and it's always an uh, epic event. What we do is basically we uh, set up outside. We have a small communications uh, trailer, very small. The trailer is uh, a 16-foot trailer, I believe, a little pull-along thing. Uh, and we have an, one HF radio. We're operating uh, one alpha category, which means we have uh, one operational station uh, at any one time. Uh, we have various radios set up, but only one of them will be on the air uh, at a time. And mostly that's because we, we have trouble finding operators for the uh, 24 hours of the uh, contest. We're a small club, so uh, but that's good. We have fun. We always set up an HF station, uh, CW station, 
and uh, for the past few years, we've been doing uh, some digital stuff. We have some uh, guys doing RTTY and mostly PSK, uh, which is pretty cool. And we're thinking of experimenting with Echolink a little bit this year. Uh, more um, also for the, the Goda side, we uh, always uh, set up a little booth. for. Um, we, we have our field day in a very open location. It's always in, in a public park around Montreal that's very accessible uh, by, uh, uh, by walking, uh, bike trails, etc. Uh, this year we're on a park next to the water, which is really neat. It's called the Parc Léon Gravel, uh, Léon Gravel. Uh, it's a park, um, well, it's probably about 10 minutes uh, drive south from me, so it's very close as well. It's right by the water. It's a beautiful site. Uh, it's got soccer fields and uh, baseball and people play frisbee and fly their kites uh, it's on the water, so there's a lot of people fishing. And the bike path goes right through there, so it's a perfect, perfect place uh, to uh, let the uh, general public know what ham radio is all about. And uh, field day is always an exciting time because you're listening to stations from all over the world. Of course, as conditions change throughout the day, uh, the, uh, uh, the, the the places that you're contacting are kind of different. So uh, it's always uh, very, very interesting that way. So uh, we do that every year. We have a uh, barbecue as well. So that's, that's where the epic part comes from. Uh, we have uh, hot dogs and hamburgers uh, free to our members. It's free for, for whoever we give them to because we don't sell. We're not a commercial entity, so we're not interested in making money. But our members do pay to uh, be part of the club. Uh, so it's one of the things that we do to uh, thank them and, and encourage participation. So uh, we'll be operating as Victor Echo 2 Charlie Lima Mike, so listen out for us. And uh, if you do uh, make contact, we're not the kind of club. Uh, um, some of our operators are a little bit uh, intense and, and like to get all the points. It's, it's about the points, of course. But it's also about setting up and operating in less than optimal conditions. Some of our operators are diehard contesters, and you know they're all about uh, you know five nine next five nine next. Um, I personally like to chat it up and see what other uh, um, other uh, groups are doing. Um, I've, I've noticed in the past field days that that's a lot easier to do in the middle of the night. Things are a little bit more laid back at night. People take the time to, uh, uh, you know, especially when I hear that stations are, are uh, five, six, uh, seven uh, stations working. I like to find out how many people are there and what their setup's like. And uh, So if you do uh, hit us up, uh, don't be shy and uh, ask me questions and I, I won't just give you a 5-9. I'll tell you about our setup and uh, let me know that you listen to the show and, and uh, I think that will be uh, really, really cool. So we're there for the whole 24 hours, of course. So we always invite uh, the local uh, VIPs, so uh, the mayors, the uh, people who are responsible for uh, public security, uh, police, uh, firemen, uh, people of that nature. So to inform them as well that we're available uh, to do community service, uh, which we do uh, regularly. That's uh, what we're going to be doing, and I'm going to be uh, very excited. I, I bring my RV, so uh, my big trek uh, 10 minutes down the road, keep the RV there so I can uh, crash and uh, and uh, relax for a little bit because I spend the whole, like, I pretty much get there Saturday morning at 8, help with the setup, uh, eat some food, uh, have some uh, drinks. We do not uh, have alcoholic drinks because we are a club, so we don't uh, we don't want to condone that. Not not that I have any problems with it personally, but as a club, as a as a legal entity, uh, we don't have any alcohol on site. And plus, we're in a public park, and there might be families and kids. It's a family event, so uh, when I say drinks, it's uh, Pepsi, Seven Up, coffee, things of that nature. Lots of water, of course. And uh, so, yeah, it's uh, always a whole lot of fun. So uh, hopefully uh, I'll get to uh, talk to some of you guys, and uh, please don't be shy. 
that's uh, my uh, spiel for field day. Uh, I do want to encourage everybody to uh, participate, of course, uh, licensed and uh, non-licensed ham. If you guys want to find your local club, uh, you have uh, these things called GOTA stations. Uh, GOTA is an acronym for Get On The Air. So these are stations operated by somebody like uh, myself or Rust, who are a licensed ham. And uh, you would come up to us and say, hey, I'm interested in this uh, newfangled ham radio thing. How does it work? And we'll just sit you there in front of the mic and uh, you'll get to uh, call CQ. And uh, that's a little bit how uh, I got roped in and I got the bug. So um, all of the information is available at uh, ARRL.com. That's www.arrl.com slash field day. Uh, field dash day although if you put field day in one word it works as well because uh, I tried it out and I was uh, pleasantly surprised to uh, find that they even have uh, formas y reglas en espanol uh, mais aucune formule en français malheureusement nothing in French but uh, in English and Spanish is there for you guys uh, so Russ what are you doing for field day? I will probably wind up doing nothing for field day. The past year or two, I have tried to visit some of the local clubs up in the Springfield, Missouri area because they do have some pretty elaborate setups for field day. One uses the uh, county's sheriff's uh, tactical unit van thing that they've got and you know, that thing's pretty cool. They set up like four or five radios in there and it's, it's all self-contained and lots of lights and, uh, you know, they don't have to run up generators and everything cause it's, it's all powered by, uh, you know, internal power and that kind of thing. And then there's another station they set up as an alpha station at the local Red Cross building where they, they operate from as well. But it seems to me that the local ham radio clubs are a pretty tight knit community and while you're welcome to go in there and watch, you know, the goings on and everything, they don't really have a go to set up and they're, they don't seem particularly interested in helping you operate on their equipment and everything. So, you know, if, if you're standing there watching what's going on, that's one thing, but if you actually want to participate, it's uh, not quite as friendly as it, as it definitely should be. Uh, I will take this opportunity to plug my former ham radio club which is the Aroostook Amateur Radio Association. They're up in Aroostook County, Maine, uh, specifically Presque Isle, which we talked about earlier. And yeah, <laughs> yes, exactly. I'm sorry. Uh, but anyway, th- it was fun when I, when I was getting started in ham radio because they were the ones who fostered my interest in ham radio. They were the ones who did all the testing. They were the ones who provided the location and all the equipment for field day and everything. And I spent a lot of time when I w- when I lived up in Maine contributing to field day for the Aroostook Amateur Radio Association. And I would like to say that anybody listening to this podcast should try and contact them if they possibly can. They're operating three alpha this year out of Presque Isle. Their call sign is Kilo One Foxtrot Sierra K One F S. You can find out uh, all kinds of information. I actually still maintain their website even though I don't live in the area anymore, but uh, they have a website, k1fs.org, entirely maintained by me, and it's a it's a great club. And considering the fact that it's a very sparsely populated area, they they do their best to bring people into the amateur radio community. And I want to say that via their testing programs, they create I want to say on the order of ten or more new hams every year. Wow. Yeah, it's uh, they they do their best. Uh, they're a nonprofit, five hundred one c three. 
uh, they take donations. You you can become a member, and of course uh, they have members from uh, mostly from the Arista County area, but they have some in you know around here. Of course, for me, there's another guy in Missouri who is also a member. They even have members uh, in Great Britain. So you're still a member. I am. Yeah, good for you, Russ. That's awesome. I'm I'm glad to hear that some clubs. I mean, if if you're still a member, that just goes to show how how cool the club must be. Um, I, I'm I've written this down because I'm going to be in the area, as you know, and and I'm going to make a point of uh, contacting uh, their repeater, and and uh, and saying hello because I I think that's great, and it's a shame that more clubs don't. Uh, you know, I I remember a long time ago actually on on this show specifically. Uh, Maybe it wasn't. Maybe it was on Richard's other show, but he did a whole spiel on on how a, a good ham radio club should conduct itself. And one of his big pet peeves was the fact that some of them are very tight knit communities, and and they don't necessarily welcome people from the outside. And 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 I say shame on you clubs who do that because there's no place in ham radio for that. I think everybody should be. Uh, I'm I'm fortunate. My experience has been the opposite. I I was welcomed within my club the first day. They're very uh, pro Elmering and and teaching and and enhancing your skills. Uh, and and it's a shame when uh, you know when people because I've I've heard horror stories of people getting turned off of the hobby altogether because of one negative experience. So uh, kudos to uh, the uh, Roostook Amateur Radio Association. And I'm going to make sure that I uh, get in touch with them, if not during field day and when I'm in uh, that area during the summer. Yeah, they were always one of the most fostering organizations that I could think of. And, and no radio club that I've come across since really has been as open as they are. It's a little unfortunate that they're sort of tucked away in a in a desolate if you will part of the world where they don't get a lot of interest in ham radio and whatnot but you know what interest they do get they foster with all their hearts and i and i really thank them for that for giving me the opportunity to get where i am and uh to sort of give back to them uh, you know in what little way i can so uh k1fs kilo one fox sierra is this is the uh the club k1fs.org if you're interested in that and uh, Pete, for you, the uh, local repeater is 146.73 minus on the offset and no tone. <laughs> you can log that now. <laughs> I've actually written it down. Actually, I wouldn't be surprised if it's already programmed. I've already programmed my 710 for uh, the uh, the eastern part of North America, which is where I'm going to be hanging out. I'm going to be in Brunswick, Maine for a little bit in July, and then we're going up to the Presqu'isle area and then the Maritimes in Canada. So I've actually uh, used uh, the ARRL's uh, repeated directory uh, to program my radio, and I wouldn't be surprised if that frequency is already in there. However, I've written it down, and I'm going to double-check and make sure it's in there because I'm going to make sure that I uh, give them a shout out. I'm going to be spending about a week in the area on, on the Canadian side, but I easily, easily can contact Prescott from where we are. And uh, it's called Bath, New Brunswick, just outside of Florenceville, where McCain makes its wonderful French fried potatoes. <laughs> yes, I'm uh, very familiar with potatoes. And for those folks who don't live in Arista County, Maine, yeah, it's all about the potatoes. Anyway, well, uh, they even have a potato museum just north of that. It's it's on our side. It's on the Canadian side. But on the way to Presque Isle, I can't remember where because uh, that's where McCain's head office is. They have the McCain's Potato Museum. So if ever you're in the area and you want to come up, uh, you can visit the Potato Museum. Uh, you can also go to the Potato Blossom Festival. Uh, I think it's sometime in August up there. Uh, anyway, uh, if you happen to get on the local repeater, look up uh, N1NXU. That's Steve, November 1, November X-ray uniform. 
I think he'd get a thrill uh, from hearing from you because he's the only one on the show that I know for sure actually listens to us. So uh, uh, that might be interesting. And I would like to say, and I know he doesn't listen, but Steve does. So uh, when it comes to field day, and I'm going to try and get this episode out before field day happens so Steve can listen to it, make sure that Scotty uh, and his call sign is Whiskey Alpha 1 Yankee November Zulu, W-A-1-Y-N-Z. Make sure that Scotty does not hog the CW channel. Make sure that that rig gets used by somebody other than him during field day. Because uh, to me, that was the only shortcoming of field day is if you wanted to do CW work, you had to bully Scotty out of his radio. Uh, That's funny because we have a Scotty in our club too. And his name is actually Pierre, like myself. I'm Pete. My birth name is Pierre. I'm very uh, francophone. Je suis français de nature. Hey, uh, stop that. You're hurting my ears. (laughs) (laughs) I'm trying to bring a little culture, a little international (laughs) flair to Linux and the Hamshack. But uh, we we have another Pierre. The reason they call me Pete is because I lived in Alberta for so long. But it it served me well in our local club because there's an old timer whose name is Pierre. So by calling me Pete, they don't get us confused but the pierre his name is uh his call sign sorry is victor echo two fox fox echo and uh, he's he's one of the best guys i've seen on cw you know bar none this guy was in the military uh, he's in his mid-60s now he's been doing cw since the womb pretty much and he's the same once he gets on you can't get him off. Like you got to tackle him out of that chair, and it's it's hilarious. But he gets the contacts though, so uh, you know, it's and, and it's it's fascinating. It's it's amazing to see a good CW operator operate. I can watch him for hours. So, this guy is so good that the uh, one of the local uh, uh, festivals here uh, they do a tribute to uh, old um, um, careers, and they choose him every year to be the uh, CW operator, like you would have seen in. in uh, a railroad station so so we have our own scotty i i know what you're talking about okay take that as a point of uh point of operating procedure scotty you know let someone else do cw for at least a couple minutes uh yeah, there you go. so is beat there anything up, else scotty yes beat me up scotty and don't do it with cw uh <laughs> so is there anything else you want to say before we wrap up our talk on field day Oh, I, I want to mention uh, fellow podcasters, Low SWR, uh, Rich and uh, Brady, are uh, actually going to be operating. They're, they're letting their listeners choose uh, the operating QTH, so where they're going to be operating from, and uh, whether or not you're going to be operating as uh, Richard's call sign or, or as, um, as uh, Brady's call sign. So they're trying to choose between Nebraska and Wyoming, um, so you can go on their website and vote. I voted for Wyoming just because Wyoming sounds cooler than Nebraska, uh, but really, you know, I, I'm sure they're both great locations. So if you want to encourage some fellow podcasters, uh, go to their website and uh, help them decide where they're gonna uh, where they're gonna have their uh, their field name. My God, I'm drawing a blank. Right now, there's I think uh, seven voters to five in favor of Wyoming as AC0XR, and that was my choice. Uh, also, because you know, I bond with Brady because we both have an X in our call, and as you know now, that's my new uh, criteria for bonding with people. <laughs> you don't get out much. No, actually, you get out way more than I do, so I can't say that. <laughs> All right. Well, I think if that's it, uh, we'll do some music, and then uh, people will not want to miss segment three of this show because we are going to talk about the Podfather Adam Curry, and I'm not going to say some very nice things. With that as our little teaser into segment three of the show, what I would like everybody to do is take a notepad and a pen or a pencil and write down how many different genre or style changes you detect in this next song. And I'm pretty sure 
you won't get them all. But anyway, this is a great song by a woman uh, and a band called Leslie Hunt uh, from an album called Your Hair is on Fire. Wait, 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 wait. A woman and a man called Leslie Hunt. And a band. Oh. <laughs> band. B-A-N-D. Sorry, by mistake. <laughs> yeah, and a band. Anyway, uh, the band, if you will, Leslie Hunt, is a song called Open Your Eyes and See If You Can Count All of the Different Style Changes That Happened During the Song. We'll see you in a couple minutes. I know how crazy it is Thinking it's love when it's the opposite Confusing defenses for abandonment Purple skin, you can't convince That you're fine That you're fine I know the story as well as you Flames turn to
Okay, Pete, what'd you think of that one? And we're back. I like that. That was pretty cool. I did not mention to count how many different styles there were, but uh, that was uh, very energetic and upbeat. And uh, yeah, it's cool. Well, I'm glad you thought so. So anyway, what do we got Are you here? looking for forgiveness for uh, usurping all of my choices? Am I looking for forgiveness? No, not at all. It's my uh, show. <laughs> you're at peace then, okay? <laughs> That's right. <laughs> I am at peace. Uh, it's Excellent. Re- it's, <laughs> That's right. Oh, now it's... See, i got to have that button handy. <laughs> Throwing you off there. Yeah, that's right. I was feeling very zen before I couldn't find that button. That's all right. Disappointed! <laughs> Get it with practice. <laughs> For those people who are wondering why we haven't announced the winner of the BeagleBone Black yet, it's because we aren't going to do it. Ah. <laughs> uh, uh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, and it's... Go. It's not because we don't have a winner. It's because we will have a winner. But I would like to encourage encourage more people to join our contest. I, I'm not sure that we actually gave it enough time. We, we have had entries, so there's no question about that. We've gotten a few entries, and I'm glad about that. But I would like to encourage people to have more entries. So I'm going to put the announcement of the winner off until the next episode to give people more chances to sign up. So we're going to push this out till midnight on July 2nd. You have to give us your answer to why you deserve a Beagle Bone Black on our voicemail line, one 547 or to become a paid subscriber of the show, which costs you $2 a month or $20 a year. Either one gets you entered to win the Beagle Bone Black, and we will, you know, definitely, no more putting it off, announce the winner on episode number 110 which will be recorded live on july 2nd so make sure to get your entries in and we will do the announcement then yeah we're building anticipation and uh encouraging people to join us all right yes that's absolutely true oh god i caused a loop and spiked my cpu see this is why i should not be reading the chat room while i'm in doing a live show (laughs) i okay what does he mean by that I don't know, but if you want to ask him, that's fine. But I'd like to talk about Adam Curry. All right. Well, Jay Lindsay, you can type in the uh, text box what you mean by that, and that's okay. Talk about Adam Curry. Go ahead. I actually listened to his podcast, uh, one of his podcasts, the No Agenda podcast uh, recently. It is very long. It was about three hours. Uh, I don't know. I have mixed feelings about it, but uh, that's okay. Go ahead. Well, I am actually very glad to hear you say that you have mixed feelings about Adam Curry's podcast, because I also have mixed feelings about his podcast, but what I really have is mixed feeling. Well, no, actually, I shouldn't say I have mixed feelings, because I don't have mixed feelings at all. I have some very stable and committed feelings about what he said about our podcast, and he said it specifically. So, Ooh, I did not know that. Yes. And so without further ado, I would like to play a small snippet from the No Agenda podcast number 517 at or around 46 minutes in, wherein Adam Curry, the podfather, who I talked up on this show quite eloquently a couple episodes ago, said this about us. So there's all these podcasts, Linux in the Ham Shack, uh, Ham Nation, Ham Radio Today, And let me tell you something, they all suck balls, every single one of them. It's horrible. Okay, so... (laughs) Oh, that's pretty to the point. (laughs) Yeah. Well, one thing I will say about Adam Curry is he does not mince his words. So, (laughs) 
I had a little conversation on Twitter with Adam Curry about our show and what he thought was so bad about it or what he, you know, thought might suck balls about our show. Now, one thing I will bring up about this before I go on is the fact that we are, what was the second one he mentioned there? Hang on. So there's all these podcasts, Linux in the Ham Shack, uh, Ham Nation. Yeah, Ham Nation. That was the second one that he mentioned. Now, he's put us in good company because that is Leo Laporte's podcast about ham radio. That's a video one, though. It's it's more of a video cast than a podcast. Because if you listen to that show, you miss a lot because there's a lot of visuals involved. I mean, you, you can listen to the podcast, but you kind of miss out on some of the show. Well, that that being said, I would like to say that we are in good company in Adam Curry's disfavor by being lumped <laughs> in with with Leo Laporte's uh, Ham Nation and being told that we suck balls. And anyway, I I asked him, you know, on Twitter what what the problem was and his his assessment was that we spend too much time chit-chatting and don't get to the point basically was his his major concern oh, like, well that's what he that's what they do for three hours well and see that's exactly the thing now i will say he he said that he had listened to our show twice he didn't say which episode specifically but he listened to two of our episodes he spent 45 minutes listening to two of our episodes and in the 45 minutes or presumably 90 minutes total that he listened, he heard no content related to Linux and the ham shack. I have gone through our, our catalog and I can't find two episodes. I can't even find one episode where we spent more than six or seven minutes bullshitting and not getting to the point. We do often not get to the point, at least as far as I'm concerned. I'll gladly admit that. that that's part of our charm. I mean, we're not a technical podcast. We're not just going to go throw numbers and, and, and version numbers and, and OS technical specificities. I mean, we, we kind of chat and discuss and throw our opinions in there. You know, sometimes it's more ham-centric. Sometimes it's more Linux-centric. Um, and, and that's okay. That being said, we're not going to please everyone, and he's allowed to say that we suck balls. I mean, you know, maybe that's our call to, to step up our game a bit, and uh, nah, that's nah, not. <laughs> no, it's not that. I mean, I'm not going to bring myself down to his level. I mean, he he started the genre more or less, and he thinks he's entitled to tell everybody how it is that they're supposed to podcast. But honestly, if you jump from us over to the Linux or over to the No Agenda podcast. Yes, when they do their little intro thing, they get down to it, they get right to the point, they talk about their first story, and they talk about stuff for the next 30 minutes, and then they spend 45 minutes jacking each other off. It's ridiculous to me that somebody can say to me, or to you, to the co-hosts of this show, and even to Leo Laporte, who hosts another fine show, that maybe we don't get to the point like right out of the gate, but he spends 45 minutes talking about all the people who've spent money and contributed to his show that no one could care less about. It's like, if you want to stay on topic, your show could be about two hours shorter, Adam Curry. And I don't necessarily want to stoop to his level and say that his show sucks or anything like that, because I think everybody's show has merit. And the problem that I have with Adam Curry is that he goes off the deep end. He jumps to a conclusion and doesn't have any real rationale for the conclusion that he makes. And he wants to say that his opinion is valid. Part of that is part of the showmanship. Um, from a Canadian standpoint, Americans tend to be very dramatic and flamboyant when it comes to media. So maybe there's a little bit of that, right? I mean, you're, you kind of 
you call somebody, you tell somebody their show sucks balls and, and you know, that, that kind of gets your, your listenership's attention kind of thing. So, you know, I, I don't think he meant anything. didn't sound like it was malicious or anything. He's, and he's certainly entitled to his opinion. Perhaps he's looking for something more uh, in the lines of, uh, for example, what Solder Smoke was way back in the beginning of Solder Smoke, where it was just um, the two guys talking you know, strictly about their ham radio projects. And it was very technical and very, oh, I soldered this wire to that one. And, and I mean, very, very technical in the beginning of solder smoke. Um, so maybe it's just not what he's looking for. And you, you can't get a feel for a series just by listening to two shows either. So, And besides, it must have been in the Richard years. He obviously hasn't listened since I showed up or else he'd love us. <laughs> That's right. That's exactly the problem. And no, I don't have any animosity towards Adam Curry. I mean, his show is what it is, and our show is what our is. He did later on say that he found a, a ham radio a podcast that he liked, and that podcast was Ham Radio Now, which is also a video podcast. And I've actually been in contact with uh, the creator of Ham Radio Now, and he wants to do a collaboration with us. So that ought to be really interesting. I'm it, not familiar with that one. I'm going to check it out. Yeah, so go ahead and check that out. It's hamradionow.tv. And we will apparently be doing uh, a show with him at some point. And I, and I hope I, I said that I was going to talk him up on a show. I asked him if he had any, uh, like an audio promo or anything like that. And he said he did not. Uh, the ham in question is Gary KN4AQ, Kilo November 4 Alpha Quebec. And look, uh, another Quebec, another call sign that ends in Quebec. So another soul brother. That's right. Kindred spirits. Uh, he did. It was meant to be, Russ. That's true. So I, I do hope we get to uh, do a collaboration with, with Gary uh, over at Ham Radio now. It, it should be really interesting. Uh, yeah, and in the cool. meantime, I, w I would just like to play this quote from, from Adam once more because uh, the more I hear it, the more, the more hilarious it is to me. So uh, one more time, Adam Curry on Linux in the Ham Shack. So there's all these podcasts, Linux in the Ham Shack, uh, Ham Nation, Ham Radio Today, and let me tell you something, they all suck balls, every single one of them. It's horrible. So, uh, Adam Curry, thank you so much because maybe you've driven people to listen to us, whether you say we suck balls or not, because uh, I happen to think we do a pretty good job over here. We we do what we say what we do, and you have a right to, to state your opinion and to not like us uh, all day long. If nothing else, I got to play a cool soundbite from, from your show, so... Uh, that, there you go. And any publicity is good publicity, so we'll take it. Right. That's that's what they say anyway. I guess we'll find out if that actually holds true, won't we? Yeah, it'll be interesting. All right. So where are we going next? Uh, now that I've talked about Adam Curry way too much, we've got some feedback here. So uh, and and the first one is actually from Gary Can Four AQ. So you want to go ahead and read this one? Oh, you skipped a whole bunch of stuff. Oh, did I? Oh, look at that. I'm jumping Aren't we down. doing the social media roundup first, or do uh, you want to skip that and go? Uh, now let's do that at the end. So go go ahead and talk about Gary. All right. I'll talk about Gary. He's a nice man. Uh, I've just got to find the spot. <laughs> it's <laughs> in there. For trust a loop me. here. Okay. Uh, Gary, KN4AQ of Ham Radio Now TV. We got an email from uh, Gary. It says, uh, hi, Russ. Thanks for pinging me. You're on my list. Uh, we, we weren't on his list of ham radio related podcasts, which is why I pinged him and which we are now included on his list of ham radio related podcasts and, and thus why he's uh, saying you're on my list. So, Excellent. so we weren't, uh, I didn't know about him and he didn't know about us. So uh, very good. No, we apparently both, he did know about us. Something. Yeah. He, he did know about us and he will say something to that effect as you read. 
Okay. Oh, sorry. Um, I was actually already aware of your podcast. Yes, I should have read that line. Uh, and I don't know how I missed adding it long ago. But it is here now. I don't have any promo audio prepared. That's on my list. Actually, a YouTube home screen intro. Uh, but lots in line ahead of it, I'm afraid. And Ham Radio Now should do a show with you guys sometime, more or less soon. I've still got a ton of stuff from Dayton to edit and get online. But once that's done, I'll check in. 73 from Gary, KN4AQ, Kilo November 4, Alpha, Quebec. Emphasis on the Quebec. <laughs> yes, very well done. So uh, thanks, Gary. I uh, appreciate you putting us on your list. Um, we will make sure to put you on our list uh, very soon. And you can thank Adam Curry for pointing us to you because he said you have a very fine video podcast about ham radio. Uh, no, so, uh, Gary's show doesn't suck balls. Does that's it? <laughs> right. Gary's show does not suck balls. You are definitely in Adam Curry's favor. Uh, and for that, we applaud you. <laughs> all right oh, and uh funny. we would love to do a collaboration with you and i hope we can get to yeah, that soon absolutely all right so uh you got you got an email from renee and i did as well and i thought this came on google plus so i changed it but it was actually an email so uh go ahead and tell us what renee wants to know yeah okay uh renee sent us an email this week uh i have not answered renee yet because i only read i was away for four days i only read the email uh when I got back on Sunday, so I thought, well, uh, maybe he's listening live so he can hear what we have to say. And if not, I will uh, answer his email uh, in the course of the next few days. But basically, he says, hello, can you please help me? I want to install Linux. Well, you're at the right place, uh, Renee, and, and good on you. Uh, Ubuntu, I have read that they do not take it so closely with privacy. Debian and Fedora would better score on this plane. Which distribution would you recommend where privacy is board certified and is also suitable for ham radio? He says uh, 73, and his call sign is Papa Delta 5 Romeo Sierra, and his name is Rene. Well, thanks for your email, Rene. We appreciate your listenership, and uh, that's a great question. So I, I put you on top of the list to see what you recommend, uh, unless you want me to go first. I would recommend Linux Mint, as would you, because I think it's just a very newbie-friendly distribution. I'm not sure how privacy and free software-oriented it is. I assume that it's it's fairly well privacy and, and free software-oriented, not as much as, say, Debian is, um, because Debian has a whole separate repository directory for software that doesn't meet the compatibility with GPL. Now, if you're really, really concerned about what you consider free software, there are distributions which are certified, if you will, by the Free Software Foundation. So is that what he meant by board certified? Uh, and that may exactly be what he meant. And uh, if you give me a second, I will uh, give you the rundown of what the Free Software Foundation considers certified distribution certified in the GNU Linux vein uh, as supporting free software. First one is Blag, B-L-A-G, which is based on Fedora. The second is Dragora, D-R-A-G-O-R-A, -A, completely independent distribution apparently. Uh, the third is Dynabolic, D-Y-N-E-B-O-L-I-C. There's also GNUSense, uh, based on Ubuntu. There is Musix, M-U-S-I-X. There is Parabola. There is Trisquil, 
or Triskel, depending on how you prefer to pronounce that, T-R-I-S-Q-U-E-L. And there's Ututo, U-T-U-T-O. Apparently, these pass muster with the Free Software Foundation. Uh, They're based on various other distributions and, you know, RMS certified to promote freedom. So if you want to try those, go for it. You can find that list at gnu.org stroke distros stroke free dash distros dot html. Uh, if you're not quite as worried about the board certifiedness of their free software freedom, uh, I would go with Linux Mint. Uh, and I might even try Manjaro, which is the distribution we talked at, uh, about at the start of this program, because I, I think both are excellent distributions, easy to install. And while they may not be as focused on freedom as some of the other ones that I just mentioned, they are certainly worth giving a try to. So uh, with that, I will uh, let you hear Pete's assessment of the same question. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I, I wasn't sure what he meant by board certified. Um, I, I kind of figured it was in the same vein as you mentioned. Uh, but yeah, I, I also, um, my first recommendation would definitely be uh, Linux Mint 15 Olivia. I uh, have tried both uh, the Cinnamon uh, and the uh, Mate desktop. I prefer Cinnamon. I, j- I just find it's just a little, you know, cuter. It's just nicer to look at if you want. If it's your first foray into Linux, uh, it's definitely an easy transition from a Windows or a Mac OS, uh, if that's where you're coming from. I mean, I'm, I'm not making any assumptions, but uh, definitely uh, easy to install. Uh, it's got a, a very friendly uh, package manager, so you could find your favorite ham radio programs. Because he also mentioned that he wants a distribution that's ham radio friendly. So uh, definitely Linux Mint doesn't have any pre uh, installed ham radio programs, but you can definitely get a whole bunch through the repositories through the Synaptic Package Manager, which is uh, what uh, Olivia uses. Uh, so you can check them out at linuxmint.com. They have uh, very good tutorials also on the website that you can check out. We also recommended the uh, same uh, version to uh, Phil a few weeks back who visited you at the uh, booth at Tanvention, Russ. Um, the other ones that I might recommend if you're a little bit more adventurous um, well, yes and no. I mean, uh, Hammocks uh, 5.0 and uh, HamOS uh, 12.48, uh, HamOS being Richard and, and uh, uh, Brady from Low SWR, which is Richard who programmed it. Uh, but they are also very easy to install. Uh, you, they, they come as, a, as an ISO, live CD, or you can install it. I had no problems installing. I've installed all of these versions. In the last two weeks, I've, I've gone through five uh, different versions of Linux. Uh, out of the two, I preferred HamOS to, to Hamix. Uh, I, I just find it has a nicer finish, uh, and it's got a, a, a whole bunch of ham radio programs. Uh, and it doesn't have too many, uh, but it's got uh, you know various programs for logged, logging uh, for digital modes, you know FL Digi and company, uh, rig control. Uh, it's got uh, things like Zaster, DRAT, so pretty much anything you can do in ham radio, uh, it's already there. It's a small distribution. You know, check them out. Check them out at all three of them if you want. Download the ISOs. Uh, try the live CDs. Would be my recommendations before you install anything. That's the beauty of Linux. You download the ISO and uh, you play with it for a while and you see if you like it. If you like it, you install it. it. Takes you know fifteen to thirty minutes depending on the distribution and and your system. And if you don't like it, you put in another CD and you try another live one. And and even if you do install it and you don't like it, it only takes a half an hour to wipe it out and restart over. So uh, go ahead and experiment. But uh, definitely. Uh, 
Linux Mint, Linux Mint 15 would be my first recommendation. Cinnamon or Mate, depending on uh, how you like the look of your desktop. They're both very functional. I just preferred Cinnamon because of the look. I find it was just a little bit more refined. Uh, and maybe check out Hammocks and uh, Ham OS as well. And I'll be uh, sending Renee an email uh, explaining all of these choices and uh, offering more help if he uh, chooses. So if you have any questions, uh, if anybody has any questions, don't hesitate. Uh, have you played with um, Hammocks or Ham OS at all, uh, Russ? Have you had a chance? I have looked at them a little bit, but unfortunately, they're so much like other distributions that I already use. I haven't really embraced them um, because I, I do with Debian sort of everything I ever wanted to do, and I don't need uh, Ham OS or Hammocks to to sort of get me in the right direction. But that that doesn't mean it doesn't work for other people. It just, it just doesn't work for me. That's the only thing I'm saying by that. Your distributions do not suck balls, okay? I just want to make sure <laughs> that we're well, clear on that point. They're, they're great distributions for someone who just wants something that's basically plug-and-play, you know, if you want. If you don't want to uh, compile your own distribution or, or write it yourself, uh, those are three uh, really good starting points, I think. And uh, like I said, very easy to use, easy transitions from whatever system you're moving uh, from. And uh, yeah, it's just a, a lot of fun to check them out. So um, obviously, Renee is a, uh, a ham radio operator, so he's probably looking for something that he can just kind of uh, jump in and, and uh, continue uh, his hobby. So anyhow, that being said, I'll uh, email you uh, shortly, Renee. Probably you'll get the email before uh, this uh, podcast is posted, and that's okay. And uh, we'll go from there. All right, that sounds good. Well, that pretty much wraps all the feedback up that we have for tonight. But for our social media roundup, we'd like to acknowledge that some folks have uh, signed up to listen to our our spiel and our random gibberish over at Google+. Uh, those folks are Turhe H, Pierre M, Peter W, and Raymond W. Thanks, guys, for signing up over at our Google Plus community and uh, becoming a part of Linux in the Ham Shack over there at at the the evil empire Google Plus. Yeah, uh, welcome. Yes, welcome very much. We do appreciate your uh, patronage. I'm gonna have to join that circle too. <laughs> yeah, you might have to do that someday. I'm, uh, I've joined you guys on Facebook. I'm um, starting to, uh, to to join social media ever so slowly. I don't know. Once you get sucked in, you can never come back. No, no, no. I've, I've been, I've never gotten sucked in, but uh, I've been on Twitter and I've, I do a little bit of Facebook. I have my own page. If you guys want to check me out, I don't know. I, I don't go on that often. I, I'm so often in front of computer screens at work, uh, and then you know with the projects I have at home that I don't find I have a whole lot of time for being social on the computer. I, I like to be social in person. Um, not that there's, I'm not making a judgment. I just have no time. Okay, we'll we'll make sure that everyone's aware that you are not making a judgment. I am not making a judgment. Uh, social media does not suck balls. <laughs> we we could probably overuse that far too quickly, so maybe <laughs> we should stop at this point. Uh, but anyway, one one last announcement that I have before we start the outro is that um, there was an announcement made that Identica. Uh, which is based on status.net was going to be converting over to pump.io and that was going to be the new sort of social network of the Identica set. Well, a lot of people don't really, you know, cotton to that transition from Identica to pump.io. So they've started their own status.net instances, which is very easy to do. You can just look up status.net, download the application, 
basically a web-based app. And if you have a server running somewhere, you can run your own version of status.net, which I have decided to do. So instead of getting all my updates and subscribing to other people's updates versus, uh, via Identica, I now use my own status.net update site, which is u.bluecows.com. That's the letter u.bluecows.com. And if you're interested in subscribing to my updates or you get a subscription from me, it will be from K5TUX at U, letter U, dot bluecows.com. Uh, and that's so that I will still be able to send and receive status.net updates when Identica decides to disappear. So uh, that's the new address for me. I'm no longer JR Woodman at Identica because Identica supposedly is going away. Going away. Is Identica a Canadian company? Do you know? I don't think it's a Canadian company. They just usurp the .ca domain. To yeah, make yeah, it there you go. Yeah. That I happens was just curious about that. So. And if well, anybody if else is interested. not Canadian, I don't care if they disappear. <laughs> right. And if anybody else is interested, my u.bluecows.com is an open status.net uh, server. So if you don't already have an Identica account, but you want to have a presence on status.net for all the other people who use it, uh, my status.net server is open and I can give you an account on it. So just email me at k5tux at lhspodcast.info and I'll be happy to set you up with an account. Very good. I was muted. <laughs> of course you were. Stop muting yourself. God damn it. This show's going to suck balls if you keep yeah. muting yourself. I have to mute myself or else you'll hear me rustle my papers and burp and do all those things that you're not supposed to do on a professional radio show. Hey, don't so you, as not to suck balls. Don't rustle papers. Don't use my name in vain. <laughs> there's no vein here. No, of course, there's no vanity on this show. Absolutely none whatsoever, because this is the greatest podcast. This is the greatest Linux and Hamshack podcast in the universe. That is correct. Excellent. Yes, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> All right. All right. So I'm going to let you start on the outro, and I'm going to like play some music and stuff. And oh, what the hell happened to my computer? This happens Again. more often than not. Oh no, I didn't just lose my recording, did I? If I did, I will be most pissed. You didn't. You're not using your PC, are you? Windows PC, are you? No, I'm using a Mac OS actually, and no, I did not lose my recording. So here, let me go ahead and start some outro music. Macs are stable. All right, guys. Uh, thanks uh, to everybody for being here tonight. Thanks to uh, all of our monthly donors and yearly subscribers. We couldn't do it without you. Thanks to all of our listeners, live and quasi live. Where's that quasi live? Uh, check out our website, of course, uh, lhspodcast.info. You can reach us at info at lhspodcast.info. That goes to both of us. You can leave us a voicemail. Uh, please do at 1909-LHS-SHOW, 1909-547-7469. Subscribe to the mailing list. Uh, the link is on the website. And you can also go to Cafe Press and print fiction buy some of our show merchandise each purchase uh, helps out the show uh, goes right back into the production and of course uh, listen live every other tuesday at 8 p.m central the recording schedule can be found on the website my name is pete victor echo 2 x-ray papa lima in montreal wishing you a great week hope to uh, talk to you guys uh, at field day and uh, with that uh, we'll talk to you soon take it away russ okay this is russ k5tux uh, and for both of us we want to thank you for tuning in to episode number 109 of Linux in the Ham Shack. 
uh, check out the website lhspodcast.info it has all the information you ever wanted to know about the show including how to become a part of it where to send us voicemail where to send us email where to participate in the IRC channel where to send us uh, I don't know information or say email saying we suck balls or whatever it is you want to tell us go to lhspodcast.info you'll find that information out this is Russ K5TUX broadcasting live from between the peaks in the pine forest of north central Arkansas and saying goodnight to you from uh, here and for Pete who's up in somewhere southeast of Montreal which is probably not right we'll uh, catch exactly you all right. oh it's exactly right excellent I guess we'll catch you all in uh, two weeks or so. And uh, have a good one until then. Good night. 7-3. Shack, uh, Ham Nation, Ham Radio Today. And let me tell you something, they all suck balls.